Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King. Adam Silverstein here to lead you through these hard times. Dada, with your latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, the Silver King is back. Just a couple days removed from WWE Hell in a Cell. We already have an instant analysis episode of Hell in a Cell. If you have not heard that yet, go ahead, hit pause on this episode, jump back one, listen to our instant analysis of Hell in a Cell because this episode is going to talk about everything else that's happened in WWE surrounding that pay-per-view. The extraneous stuff from SmackDown last Friday as well as the fallout from Hell in a Cell on Raw this past Monday night. We have a loaded show ahead. Not going to waste much time to get to it. First, of course, let me introduce the co-host of this WWE podcast, none other than vintage Chris Vanini. Chris, I think we were riding high once again coming out of Hell in a Cell. And as has been the case pretty frequently, at least recently, and maybe you'll disagree. Hey, we'll see. I was let down again by the Raw after the pay-per-view and I come into this show not really totally sure about what WWE has planned in the next three weeks leading into Survivor Series and really towards the end of the year as it finishes out 2020 and begins on the road to WrestleMania 37. Yeah, ups and downs. So pay-per-views have been pretty good for a while, several months. Four months now. at least. Yeah. yeah, and it always seems like the follow-up is not so good. So that seemed to be the case again here. Of course. Now, you can go ahead and follow Chris on Twitter, at Chris Vanini. You can follow the Silver King on Twitter, at Silverstein Adam. But more important than either of those, follow this damn podcast on Twitter, at Getting Overcast. Do not forget to follow us. We tweet every episode as soon as it's live. We talk about wrestling all day long, uh, live during the four major American shows. If you want something and it has to do with wrestling, a little bit of news here and there, Follow us at Getting Overcast. And don't forget, you can do it right now while you're listening to this episode, because chances are you're listening on some type of app. Head on over to the review section for this show. Leave a five-star rating and review, particularly if it's on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show. Thanks to you guys dropping new reviews, dropping five-star ratings. We jumped from the 40s to the number 33 wrestling podcast oh, hey. in North America this past week. So we are on the rise and you guys contributing is only going to help. We have a huge couple of months ahead. I've mentioned it many times. I have a couple big interviews already lined up. We're going to have the hundredth episode of Getting Over and we will have our year end awards where we're going to break down the best wrestlers, feuds, storylines, matches of the year. It's going to be a spectacular and all of you as our listeners will be able to contribute to the voting for those awards. So a lot of exciting stuff coming up in the next couple of months. But before we get into any of that, we got to get into what happened this past week in WWE. And the way we do that is by entering the main event. This is the main event. And Chris, I think the biggest topic that really had, you know, had something to do with what happened on Friday, definitely all of Monday, is the build beginning towards Survivor Series. I find that to be the major main event topic this week. And right off the bat, the first thing that was incredibly noticeable is that NXT will not be involved in Survivor Series this year. So right off the bat, when I heard that Monday night, I was really disappointed because NXT was the best part of the show in 2019. If people will remember, it was coming out of Blood Money in the Sand. They did the NXT 
invasion of SmackDown because they really had no other choice because all their other superstars were stuck uh, overseas. And that thing just built up to such a crescendo. And NXT went over largely at Survivor Series. They got a lot of momentum. And that took into WrestleMania season. And the Royal Rumble, they had a big showing. And you saw Keith Lee a bunch. So I was hopeful that that would happen again here in 2020. But once I sat back and thought about it for a second, and I got over my disappointment, I realized that, yes, we are still in a global pandemic. And the circumstances don't necessarily allow for NXT to be involved in Survivor Series. NXT is operating out of a totally different venue. WWE on its own has had minor, you know, somewhat minor issues in WWE, major issues in NXT with COVID-19. But the idea of taking three talent rosters and putting them all into the same building and mingling them back and forth with Raw invading NXT and NXT invading SmackDown, I feel like you're only asking for disaster, even though you're testing everyone. So we've seen numerous COVID-19 disruptions with NXT. Like I said, they're operating operating now again out of the Performance Center, which is the Capital Wrestling Center. I think WWE ended up making a smart decision here because it's probably not best to have three rosters in the Thunderdome for three weeks because you're going to need that interaction between them. So does it suck that NXT is not involved in Survivor Series? Yes. Is it a missed opportunity for WWE to boost that brand value by getting their logo and their colors and their wrestlers on their two biggest shows and also putting main roster talent on NXT for a three-week period. Yes, it's a missed opportunity. But is it safest for all involved? Ultimately, I think it is. I just hope that once all of this is over, hopefully one day, hopefully one day somewhat soon, that they go back to NXT being treated as a third brand and being part of Survivor Series in 2021. Yeah, it's a little disappointing because NXT won last year, right? They did. Yeah, so they're... I know it's not a championship or whatever, but but they're the defending champions. And unless I missed something, they didn't explain that, right? On Raw, that NXT is not involved and they didn't explain why. They didn't. It's weird because on the kickoff show to the pay-per-view, I, I was watching on mute because there was football on, but something happened where I, people started tweeting me, oh, wow, NXT is going to be involved. Maybe the logo had yellow in it or something. I don't know. But they made it pretty damn clear on Monday NXT was not going to be involved. So I don't know if there was a switch. Maybe they didn't take it into account when they when they did whatever they did on the kickoff show. But yeah, they never really, I mean, they kind of acknowledged that NXT won last year. NXT, the episode after Survivor Series, celebrated. Like the opening scene of NXT was the talent roster celebrating winning Survivor Series. So, but on Raw and SmackDown, they kind of just proceeded with life as normal. Yeah, so... I would like some sort of acknowledgement. I totally get why. I assume it's that reason. Like you said, it, I, I, I guess the dirt sheets have said that's one reason Raw Underground kind of stopped as well. So like, I, right. I, I get it. You, you want to have fewer people around it. But I also think there's no shame in laying that out and explaining that that is the case. Because on AEW, might have been last week or, or even multiple times, like, they will acknowledge that the pandemic is going on. They will say someone was supposed to be here, but they're not due to COVID precautions and stuff like that. And they like it, it feels like it's part of the real world. So I feel like if they had said, you know, due to safety precautions, you know, NXT is not going to be involved. It's just going to be Raw Smackdown. I feel like 
everybody, I, I feel like that wouldn't take away from it in any sense and it wouldn't affect any type of interest considering you already know NXT is not in it. So it's not like you're hiding something. So I don't know. I, 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 I get why they're doing it. I just in the world would have loved some sort of explanation because NXT won last year. Yeah, it would have been nice to get some explanation. Hey, look, maybe Wednesday during Halloween Havoc, NXT will cut a promo. Someone will cut a promo about Raw and SmackDown being scared of them. Sure. And leaving them out, you know. So I'm, I'm not sure. But, you know, NXT did force itself into that situation last year in terms of kayfabe, right? They, they are the ones who started the invasion. And they're not doing that this year. So I don't know what the mindset is, but I do know that, and it did pop the ratings a bit for NXT when it was able to get some of the Raw and SmackDown talent onto the show. So honestly, it's just a little bit of a disappointment, but I still think Survivor Series can be great. And we did see based on what has already basically been announced, which are all the expected matches, it looks like it's going to be pretty great. Now on Raw Monday night, they had New Day and Asuka announce the matches. And these three together, dude, was a group I never knew I needed and I now never want to live without. Like, if Big E is going to go ahead and be on SmackDown by himself, I don't know how, but Asuka slides right in to New Day and (laughs) they are perfect together. They fit like a glove. I love that New Day was impersonating the Street Profits. I love that Asuka basically did all of Big E's lines and it just just fit really well and she was really funny doing it. I, I loved the entire segment. But the three matches that they announced in terms of singles matches that are official, are the world champions going head-to-head, Randy Orton against Roman Reigns, the women's champions, Asuka versus Sasha Banks, and the mid-card, Bobby Lashley versus Sami Zayn. And what some people probably have tried to forget, but the Silver King has not, is Bobby Lashley, Sami Zayn is a legitimate rekindling of a feud from the Lashley's sister's uh, you know, garbage storyline that we got <laughs> very soon after Lashley returned to WWE. So these three matches are all actually bangers. Like they're all bangers in potential. Now, yes, you do have heel versus heel uh, in two of them and face versus face in another. It does make you wonder whether WWE is going to go out and make a title change over one of the next two weeks like they've done recently. I think when Brock Lesnar uh, was was fighting someone they had AJ Styles win the title, or I'm forgetting something recently. Uh, happened. Daniel Daniel Bryan won the title. He won it right before he won it right before uh, facing Brock, I believe. Right? Who did he beat though? Uh, I might have been AJ Styles. It might have been Daniel Bryan uh, winning it, but it, it was something. They made a change because they oh the Fiend wasn't. I thought that might have uh, done it. Wasn't the Fiend gonna fight last year? And they took the title off him. Man, yeah. I don't know. My memory's crap. Uh, while you're talking, I will. I will I'm try to do look, some. I'll look this up. I'll try to do some quick research as well. But nevertheless, uh, I, and I should have been prepared for this, obviously. So this is my fault. It has been a long couple of days of multiple wrestling podcasts, plenty of football, and also you know life. There's a lot of things happening in the world right now. But nevertheless, uh, we will get that corrected sooner than later. I am excited about these matches. I am excited about this New Day Oscar type of pairing. What I am wondering is, hey, look, it's a short build for Survivor Series, and we don't have a lot of brand camaraderie yet, right? And we don't have the shirts, not that we need them. Um, We don't have any SmackDown talent on Raw this week, kind of trying to start something. When is that going to begin? Are they going to save that maybe for next week and do two weeks of invasions leading up to Survivor Series? So lots of things left to determine. 
But as of right now, the table that they've set, for me, I'm pretty good with it. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, based on what we've got, you know, it's exciting. It's nice when you have different people wrestling each other who you don't normally see, and these are, are, are good matchups. It is, yes, it is weird coming right off of the draft and having the team. So I, I think it's better, you know, Survivor Series used to be about the Survivor Series match. Now it's about right. title versus title, and the Survivor Series match kind of gets pushed off to the side especially this year. So I think the idea of team camaraderie is not as big of a deal this time. And maybe they won't do an invasion uh, because that doesn't seem to exactly be the emphasis. And we don't have, you know, authority figures who are, are on one or, or one team. It's Adam Pierce, I think, running both shows. Well, I don't know if he's running it, but he is the WWE official on record, it seems. Right. And I, actually, I like him in that role. He's like, he's generally a down the middle, you know, competent guy who just kind of keeps things running he's been doing that for a bit now and i've i've come to enjoy him in that role i think he does a great job um i don't know that pat buck does as good of a job when they had both of them in in the uh in the ring together to make that announcement which we'll get to a little bit later on the show but adam pierce is doing a very good job in a role that honestly wwe's badly needed they wwe has badly needed some type of authority figure just to make decisions and make things happen, match requests and right. official matches for pay-per-views. And you don't need them to be domineering and or a heel or a face. You just need someone in a position of authority. In AEW, for example, they have that off screen. They say, hey, Tony Khan's the person making the decisions, but everything he does is related through commentary. NXT has William Regal, who sometimes it's related through commentary. Sometimes he comes out and makes an official proclamation. Main roster needed that. And I do think that they found someone very capable of doing it in Adam Pierce. And considering the guy's a former wrestler, you know that at some point, whenever it is down the line, if he does need to get involved in some physicality, he'll be able to do it. That's another thing. He also looks the part, right? Mm -hmm. Most GMs, yeah, Kurt Angle's been GM, of course, you know, before. And, and there's been other wrestlers in the position. But when it's a non-wrestler, you always kind of think, oh, well, like, someone going to beat up Teddy Long, right? Or Vicky, like that's not really going to happen. Adam Pierce, if he needs to break up a fight backstage, it's believable. So it's really nice to have an authority figure in WWE who you almost like a Dana White, right? Who, yeah, Dana White would get his ass kicked by any UFC fighter. But you believe there's at least something there, you know? Whereas like if if 80-year-old Vince was going to try to break up like I don't even know, Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton, he wouldn't even be able to get between them. You right, know what I mean? Right. So I just kind of happen to like that. So it's a good point that you brought him up. So by the uh, way... By the way, I, I was right. It was Daniel Bryan versus Brock two years ago. He took... Uh, Daniel Bryan took the title off of AJ Styles uh, right before the show. Uh, and so much so that AJ is actually on the poster with the WWE the title. And yeah, I he, was... Um, he lost I was, to Daniel Bryan in 2018. Yeah, I was uh, I, one of the reasons I was I was keep talking about Adam Pierce as I was looking it up. So 2019 Survivor Series, they didn't have the world champions go head to head. Yes. Each of them actually defended the titles. They had Brock Lesnar against Rey Mysterio and they had um, there was uh, the Fiend and against Daniel Bryan. Yeah. Fiend against Daniel Bryan. So, yes, that year, Daniel Bryan won the title, I believe, one week before Survivor Series because they did not want heel Brock Lesnar against heel AJ Styles. And if memory serves in 2017. Well, Dan, we, well the thing is, Daniel Bryan kind of 
turned heel in the win he over Ajax <laughs> with, with the low blows and stuff. And that kind of started that whole thing. And that's before we even knew it, but that's at the stage. And, you know, for Kofi winning their title at WrestleMania, that's the crazy part about the entire thing. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was just, it, I liked when they did that, but I also kind of hated the idea that they only, at least in that moment, changed the title just for that purpose, right? But it worked. It ended up working out because that match between Brock Lesnar and Daniel Bryan was incredible. And obviously, Daniel Bryan versus Kofi Kingston was incredible. So the question is, do they make that change? Does Sami Zayn maybe, for example, lose the Intercontinental title over one of the next two weeks on SmackDown? And then Bobby Lashley gets a face opponent. I can't imagine anyone losing in the world or women's title picture. So I do think we're going to get Randy Orton versus Roman Reigns and Oscar versus Sasha Banks. And holy crap, those are bangers. And I think, you know, we don't want Orton to lose, but if Reigns beats Orton, I don't think Orton looks any worse for that. No, no, not at all. All right, so let's move on to the other half of Survivor Series, which is the five-on-five men's and women's matches that we will ultimately get on the show. For the men's side, on Raw, they decided to start doing qualifying matches rather than have a captain pick his team members. And you guys, listeners, you you know I love tournaments, round robins, anything that adds value to matches we get on television. So doing qualifying matches for the Silver King adds some easy intrigue to the next two weeks of Raw and SmackDown before the go-home shows for both brands, because you're going to presume the teams will be set before that final week. So on Raw this week, we had three qualifying matches for the men's side. The first one, AJ Styles defeated Jeff Hardy. Styles, he did a promo before. It didn't really do anything for me because of the big bodyguard. We still really don't know his name. We don't know anything about him, his purpose, why he's there. They also went to commercial right as this big guy caught Jeff Hardy midair. So I'm sitting there like, well, what happens here? Did the referee convince him to put him down? Did he slam Jeff Hardy into the ring post? Like, what happened? We don't even know because WWE decided to go to commercial. But besides that, not only was this match good, the bodyguard hardly got involved and Styles ended up winning clean, shoving Hardy into the ring post, then hitting the phenomenal forearm and getting the one, two, three. I was positive that Elias was going to interfere and cause cause Hardy to lose, but they saved that for later in the show. I got to give them props for not falling into their typical DQ mindset and allowing a heel to get a clean win over a face in a match that matters rather than doing some schmoz bullshit. Yeah, especially after how the Hell in a Cell match went between Elias and Hardy. You were expecting some guitar shot, you know, comeback. Who knows what happens? So that that was nice. It, it was good. It was fine. It was a good match. Needed to do, did what it needed to do. They held off the Elias stuff until afterward. And on your comment about catching Hardy and then going to commercial, the, the problem always with this, stuff and it happened later in the hurt business retribution match a bit is that like it's not like everything doesn't pause when they go to commercial it's not like a tv show where they leave you a cliffhanger and they go to commercial and you got to wait and you come back in and that you got to see what happens when they leave it's already happened so like it doesn't 
again, it doesn't make sense. And then sometimes they have to go back and show you what you missed during the commercial. And but if like, they do that, if they do that, I'm at least okay with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's better, but it's it's just like, wait, why did you go to commercial then? It's just, right. It, it, it's like sometimes they're in the sports world, sometimes they're not, and it's just weird. It's like, it, in this case, it was like a little thing, you know. But every once in a while, this stuff pops up. Did you enjoy the finish and basically the idea of just qualifying matches in general? I yeah, didn't give you a chance earlier. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no. I I, I like uh, I, I like qualifying matches and that kind of stuff. It's obviously different than what they did with the women, which we'll get to later. So I, I thought that was interesting that they did it separately. But yeah, qualifying matches make more sense. It fills time. You know, you can build a lot of stuff around it. I, I think it makes sense. All right. Now, the second match was Keith Lee going over Elias. Lee cut a pretty strong promo, I thought, before the match, while Elias got interrupted doing his normal shtick in the ring. I was thinking, by the way, while Elias was talking, Elias is like the perfect wrestler for 2020 <laughs> because he believes something so steadfastly happened on the word of one guy, despite all evidence being to the contrary. Yeah. No, right? I, I'm, and I'm glad they I'm I'm glad they've leaned it, leaned into that. Like that that's how you know I I would have it would have been weird if they dropped it or 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 whatnot and we never got a resolution as to who hit him. Like, yeah, it, it works. It it works and he's selling it well as like the the, the he's trying to, you know paint himself as the victim, as the heel here. It, it works. And and Hardy's kind of like, I do hope they catch that person sometime and <laughs> yeah. figure, out who, figure out who it is. And it's like, well, are, is there going to be someone? Like, I would love if these two end up having like a kickoff show match at Survivor Series, if someone else like takes out Elias's knee or something and it ends up being another person, right? And they actually tell a story here because right now they just keep going back to the story but there's not going to be a resolution on who it actually was if it wasn't Seamus. But we know it was Seamus because who else would it have been, right? So it's just it's just so weird the way they do it. But Elias, like, refusing to believe that it wasn't Jeff Hardy, even though everyone has cleared Jeff Hardy of it and he took the piss test and, like, he's totally clean and he wasn't doing a DUI. And all these months later, him still believing it, it's just crazy to me. But uh, this I, match... I, I, hope, I hope, like, I hope we get a resolution at the end where Seamus is, like, Dude, that was me. You know that, right? Like, what? right, right. <laughs> like, I'd be fine if they just kind of throw that in as the resolution. It doesn't. Right. Matter. Like they're tagging and then like maybe Elias walks off during the tag match. Yeah. You know, after that. Yeah. Okay. Even something as simple as that would satisfy me. But this match was actually pretty good up until the end for Keith Lee. Lee looked awesome. Before the first commercial break, he was showcasing his athleticism. He did the leapfrog in the ring. He pounced Elias fully over the announce table, which was a really cool spot. He actually got a decent match out of Elias, which is tough to do because Elias isn't that good actually in the ring. Lee hit Tour of the Islands. Then he kicked out of Driftaway, so he kicked out of Elias' finisher. That made him look strong. But just as Keith Lee was ready to go for the finish, Hardy's music hits and distracts Elias while he's on the top rope. Lee grabs him, hits the spirit bomb for the win. This was almost the exact opposite of the Styles match, because even though Lee was allowed to look strong at points during the match, he also sold a lot of offense for Elias. You're trying to get Keith Lee over, and yes, I know you're trying to get Elias over also, but you can't be kind of giving him losses and Keith Lee a schmaz finish and having Jeff Hardy lose like three matches in a row at this point. You're, you're not making anyone strong, so someone has to get built strong here. Keith Lee needs it more than the other guys because 
Jeff Hardy is fully established. Elias, you can give him a feud win over Jeff Hardy if you want to establish Elias. Keith Lee needs to not win by BS, right? So if Hardy can lose clean, why can't Elias in this spot? Hardy came out afterwards, hit him with the guitar, and it's clear we're now going to get a guitar match between these guys at some, at some point, maybe at the pay-per-view or maybe on the go-home show if they're both not, since they're both not going to be on the pay-per-view. But I just, I came out of this thinking, man, this was an easy spot to give Keith Lee a clean win. And you guys couldn't even do that. I mean, honestly, like that was, was that a heel move by Hardy? Cause Elias let him lose oh, yeah. clean. And then Hardy's the one with the distraction. So that was weird. Like Elias can lose to Keith Lee and then go into a Jeff Hardy feud. And it's fine. Like we, we don't think of, we don't think anything of Elias and losing via distraction doesn't, add anything to him like i don't know it wouldn't have changed anything it's just an unnecessary over over, trying too hard to do 50 50 type stuff make someone try to keep everybody looking okay and it's just too much you guys can win and lose clean and they're fine so that not to mention all the music distract like it was so obvious what was going to happen as soon as that happened is it's you wonder you wonder why a pro wrestler in 2020 is still getting distracted by the music type stuff but um shout out to elias though because his album universal truth is currently number one on the itunes charts i just looked up under it actually is it is under it really is under soundtracks uh if you go there i know they said it was number two on the show but i looked it up now and it um it is number one right ahead of hamilton and frozen two it's crazy it's really crazy that's they they i mean speaking of elias like going all in on character work like this is another part of it like (laughs) he legit has a number one soundtrack album here it's crazy well i mean it's it's under a category for a certain reason yeah yeah no yeah no doubt it's it's not an actual album but like you know i I appreciate it's still there i appreciate the character work and i find him interesting enough on on my screen whenever he uh shows up so the the best part the best thing elias has done since he's returned was actually on raw talk after the show was over he talks like a normal person and he's really quick on his feet He's good. Mm-hmm. I, I I want him to get out of the character a little bit more, right? And be just this normal Elias guy who's, like I said, is quick on his feet. He's smart and just seems to really have a good handle on like his character and and what will get him over and, and just a way to communicate with people. So it's no surprise that he was like that on Raw Talk. But, you know, on TV, it's so much the, or it used to be so much the walk with Elias stuff and all that. I hope that, now that he's really getting a run, it seems, in singles in WWE, and they're actually kind of pushing him in that direction, I want to see more personality, less, a little bit less focus on I sing and I insult people on the guitar. Yeah, you know, sure. I, I, want, I, want, I want a little more. I, I definitely think there's a lot of potential that they could do with him. He, he really, every, everything they have him do, he goes all in on and usually makes something out of it. So if they tried to really give him more... Uh, personality and in a deeper character, I absolutely think it could work. Now, the last qualifying match was the best qualifying match. Morning Woods is what Xavier calls it. That's kind of what I felt watching Sheamus defeat Matt Riddle. This was surprisingly a freaking banger. Obviously, both are great wrestlers, so I'm not surprised that they can put on a good match. But this was a pay-per-view quality match that we got between Sheamus and Riddle. Riddle hit an exploder suplex off the top rope in an awesome spot. Sheamus countered with 
Uh, he countered the floating bro, I should say, with double knees. Riddle reversed an Irish curse into a sleeper hold. I'm, I'm slurring my words all over the place here. Uh, then he dodged a bro kick, hit a German suplex bridge, which I thought was going to be the final fall in the match. He got a 2.5 on that. But ultimately, his injured back gave out, opening him up for a bro kick and Sheamus to get the win. Now, I would be lying if I didn't say I was disappointed that Riddle is supposed to be this young talent getting over really to the same degree as Keith Lee, but he keeps losing feuds to guys who don't need wins like Baron Corbin and Sheamus. But even though I hated the booking, it's really tough to hate on this match. High quality, smart, clean finish. They built up the injury during the match. So at the end, it's two thumbs up, but I really wish that Matt Riddle and Keith Lee were together in this match, because if you're not going to push them right away as single stars, you can push them as a tag team. They have history doing that. And now Matt Riddle is left out of Survivor Series. And the question is, what are you going to be doing with Matt Riddle going forward? Yeah, and I've I've said on this podcast a number of times that I'm not a huge Matt Riddle guy. But honestly, I liked him. I liked him here more than maybe I ever have. Just an absolute slobber knocker of a fight. Uh, and, and I don't know if it went three segments or two, but it, it it went on and just kept building and building and building and getting more and more physical. And yeah, and it, it, you know, I, it's a situation where I don't think Riddle loses anything by losing this match because we know Sheamus, Sheamus is a former world champion. He's absolutely, a, he's a brawler. Yeah. We know that Riddle was not hurt by it whatsoever, but I do agree that uh, it's surprising that, for a young a young talent they're trying to raise uh, that he wouldn't get that opportunity in some form. So, you know, they he, gave they gave, they gave Riddle an out with hurting his back. They gave Jeff Hardy an out by getting him run run into the ring post and they gave Elias an out from Hardy's entrance music. The Elias one dinged me the most because it was a face going over. You just kind of want the face to get a clean win. If you want the heels to take advantage of something in both cases that's what happened here. I'm totally fine with that. And that's yeah. exactly what they did. But I just wish that in this spot, Riddle had gotten the win. It, he's debuting on Raw. He was on SmackDown. They're making a big deal about all this new talent on Raw. You need these people to win. And I guess, yeah, technically Sheamus is new talent as well. That's another thing, by the way. In this match, or, or, or in these three qualifying matches, two of them were SmackDown versus SmackDown talents, or would have been, you know, three weeks ago. Yeah. It was Styles and Hardy and Sheamus and Matt Riddle. These are all guys who have fought each other or been in the ring together already. So I want to see some of the, I want to see some of this mixed together. And yeah, we do have two more qualifying matches on Raw next week, but it did stand out to me like a sore thumb that Braun Strowman or Dabakato, you know, some of these guys weren't in these qualifying matches. Now I do expect ultimately Braun Strowman to be in a qualifying match next week. And my guess is at Survivor Series, he and Keith Lee will get into it, cause an elimination on their team. And maybe that even leads to SmackDown ultimately winning. Or they're the final two and Raw wins and then they go at it after the match. But I just felt like it's kind of weird that Braun Strowman wasn't on this edition of Raw at all, given the way that they've been booking him and telling the story with Keith Lee recently. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see where that goes. That would make sense. You know, the idea of SmackDown versus SmackDown happening on Raw, this is something we talked about after the draft, how a lot of feuds and and people just simply changed shows and it didn't stop so it's you know it it, it is what it is we'll see you know I don't, I don't know where they're going with real they're not they're not giving them 
many promos or or vignettes like they did over on SmackDown. So that's something to watch, you know, if it looks like they have a plan for him. No doubt about it. Now, the last part of the Survivor Series build that we got on Monday night was the announcement of the Raw Women's uh, five-woman team. It started earlier in the show with some more love-hate dynamics between Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax. And I got to say, despite being really down that they teamed them up because I I didn't think injecting them into the tag team picture was necessary when both of them should have been challengers for Asuka, they're working really well together as a team. It's, It's really funny between both of them. They're both able to show some personality. I don't hate Nia Jax anymore. I like Shayna Baszler more than I ever have from a, I mean, I, I've always liked her, but now I see her, I see her as more than just a heel, if that makes sense. I used to just think, oh, she's a badass heel. Now there's another level to her personality. She is legitimately funny. She has a great dry sense of humor and they're able to show that in some of these segments. I also liked Angel Garza basically going from one woman to the next, <laughs> trying to seduce all four of them that were backstage. I thought that was really funny. But for anyone wondering, why the women didn't get qualifying matches. There's simply just not enough of them. Really, at the end, all you would have done is left out like two women. So at that point, you might as well do what WWE did. And I thought ultimately it was successful. So we have Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax, Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke, both of whom are being advertised as undefeated women's tag teams, which by the way, is another thing I like, right? We say, hey, even if you're not gonna go AEW and say that, the records exactly as they are matter, pointing out little tiny tidbits like these teams being undefeated, that does matter. It helps raise the profile of Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke, presumably to be the next challengers, by saying, look, they haven't lost either. So they're eventually going to deserve an opportunity. So already that's good. And then they do a fatal four-way match with Lacey Evans, Peyton Royce, Nikki Cross, and Lana as the fourth woman. And as soon as Lana was announced as the fourth woman, I knew she was winning the damn match. It's exactly what she did. She won it basically the same way she did. She did the battle royal by popping in at the end and getting the fall. I I think I may have been remiss and not mentioned Nikki Cross. If I didn't, Nikki Cross was in it as well. But anyway, uh, Lana wins the match. Nia Jax like gives up and decides to hug her outside. And you saw Nia's face change. She picks her up. Samoan drops her ass through the Raw announce table in a hysterical moment for like the sixth week in a row. I got to say, I love the table spot. I really liked this entire women's segment. There were parts like I kept expecting to hate it. Like I was waiting for the part to come in where I would say, yeah, that's stupid. But honestly, all of it was pretty damn smart. And I think they have a pretty solid five woman team now, now on Raw. Yeah, I I mean, I thought this was laid out well, it was a, it was a good story they told out told throughout the night, and yeah, it was pretty funny. <laughs> you know, Nia Jackson and Shayna continue to get better. You know, if you're not going to put them in tag matches all the time uh, or ever, basically, um, you need to do these segments where they get a personality. It's it's the reason I like the Street Profits Viking Raider stuff was because of the interactions. Uh, between them and and we're getting that we're, and we're getting that here I, I thought I just went when when uh Lana wins and she's shocked that she wins the best part of that was the the stunned look on everybody else 
Like they couldn't believe Lana won. They showed they showed Mandy's face. They showed Nia's face. They showed everybody being like, wait, Lana's on our team now. Like this is clearly not like best for our chances. That really sold the moment and how unlikely and how strange it was that she won. And then the hug and the table, all that. I just it was really well done. You know, last week we you know we criticized a lot that they had no direction for the women. Big picture, I still don't really see that yet. But on this episode of Raw. It was a good story and it was funny. It completely worked for me. It really did. And I like the five women team. Now I am excited to see what SmackDown gives us from their five women team. I do have to say there were two, two extraneous things to kind of mention here. Number one, Nikki Cross got new music and we know that this is going to happen as they move away from all the CFOs themes. There was some type of battle with royalties and, and their record company that just wasn't going to work out. Nikki Cross first theme was perfect for her. This one is absolutely horrible. Um, you know, there are some themes that have been good that have been made recently. Um, Retribution's theme, actually, I think mm-hmm. is pretty damn good. Otis's new theme is pretty damn good. But the Keith Lee one is trash. What? There was there was a report over the weekend, I should note, that Keith Lee was in New York on Thursday, Friday, day, some day like that, uh, taping tracks for a new theme. So they will be giving Keith Lee an actual real theme, which is good. This Nikki Cross one also felt like something they kind of just threw together. It was so not befitting of her character. And I just think it's, I mean, Nikki, it's okay if her character changes a little bit because now she's, you know, on her own sanity, hasn't been there in a long time and she's not even with Bliss anymore. But just going generic rock music isn't going to work for me. I got to say, this week was one of the clearest I'd ever heard Keith Lee's theme. And it's growing on me a little bit. It's not great. That's not the original theme. They've actually enhanced the theme as it was originally used. Okay. Okay. So, so it has improved. So what I and heard. So yes. what I heard Monday. I didn't hate what I heard Monday. The problem remains the Baskin is glory start. Like because you're just reminding us right of the old theme. Just just get rid of it. It it, it doesn't even it doesn't fit with the or music or at all. Get rid of it. You get rid of it, and you almost have him pull a Big E and just go bask in my glory. And then the music. Sure. Right. Sure. Yeah. So something that's like the transition between the two is terrible. The actual theme itself, I I don't hate. You got to cut the you got to cut off the beginning of it because it's just reminding us of the really awesome theme that we're not getting anymore. And largely it has been a problem for a while. It was really much a problem in the Performance Center in that it's hard to hear these themes on TV. Like when there's a new one, I'm not getting a sense of the music. Every time there's a, a new one, there's commentary talking. The audio itself is just not that great. Maybe it's the acoustics of the arena. I I, I don't know. But, it took like four weeks for me to actually be able to hear Apollo's new thing. Yeah, like it, it, yeah. It, it, it was really bad in the performance center. But I, I don't know what it is, but the themes are just they're not clicking without the crowd, without something. I'm just I'm not hearing it clearly. And that's been a problem. It has, but I, there is hope that Keith Lee is getting a new theme. I don't believe it's going to be the same backing track either. So that should be coming at some point. Now, when is that going to be? Who the hell knows? But that's supposed to happen. Nikki Cross, though, I just I noticed it and wasn't really happy. And last year, so they split up the Iconics and we, we already talked about it, you know, but they split up the Iconics, presumably to push Peyton Royce. And I don't think she's won a singles match except for maybe over Billy. She won that, but any other opportunity she's had as a single, she's lost. And she just lost this fatal four-way. So you have Lacey Evans, 
who they tried to push to the moon and failed when she first debuted, lost. They have Nikki Cross, multi-time tag, uh, a multi-time women's championship challenger, lost. And Peyton Royce, this new single star, it looked like they were building, lost. And instead, we have Lana winning and being on Survivor Series. I don't hate Lana. And I do think that there was a modicum of improvement, you know, when she fought Asuka. But it's just, man, I, you know, I'm not someone who's like, oh, they need to give opportunities to my favorite wrestlers all the time. But it just, if you're going to break up the Iconics, if you're going to break up heavy machinery, these people should all be doing something. Instead, you have Tucker on main event, Otis listless, Billy Kay we haven't even heard from in a while, and Peyton Royce losing a fatal four-way match for an opportunity to be in a somewhat featured match at Survivor Series. Yeah, I, I'm wondering, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hoping if they just put them back together and pretend the breakup didn't happen. Like they've they're done. on different brands. Well, I, I, are they? If Billy Kay doesn't show up on SmackDown, does it make a sound? Like I, I, I don't know. I like. I feel like they could wiggle their way out of this. You need if you're going to have women's tag teams, maybe they after Survivor Series they need something. I, 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 I would not be upset if they just kind of, you know. Uh, retconned that and put them back together and just move forward because I, I I don't know. Again, I said this last week, you can't break up a tag team and not instantly move forward with a plan. It's been several weeks now. Peyton Royce is doing nothing. She's not doing vignettes, promos, nothing. Just there was no plan here or the plan changed right. or something. Just put them back together. And she we'll, has, we'll, and she has generic music. Also. Yes, her, we'll, her, her track also sucks. We'll just be, like, we'll be fine with it. You know, just put them back together. Agreed. Now, something I would have missed if not for CJ Pierre at CJ Track One sending in this DM as we're taping. He noted, and this is the last part of Survivor Series talk we'll have for today. He said, what was even funnier about the New Day segment is that they not only trolled the Street Profits, they trolled their booking. When they were called up, they did the raw host gimmick for a while before they got in the ring. This was super on point. That's a really great look out there because... I did realize that they were mimicking them, obviously, and, and Kofi was being Doc and so on and so forth. But I didn't really take into account that they were playing up the Raw host gimmick by being the ones announcing all the matches. Maybe you caught that. I definitely did not. So that's pretty cool that CGA Pierre uh, decided to write in and note that for us. I did not. That's a good point. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Okay, so I've ultimately decided as well to uh, do a little audible here and give us a second part of a main event because I do realize that we have a lot to talk about something else that happened on Raw and just including it in the other section of the show wouldn't make sense. So the new co-main event today is this weird triangle situation between Drew McIntyre, The Fiend Bray Wyatt, and Randy Orton. We'll take this out of order a little bit. We had Drew McIntyre defeat The Miz in singles competition. I thought the back and forth promos between McIntyre and The Miz were pretty solid to open the show. They were both really entertaining. McIntyre did a good job conveying his disappointment while staying strong as Miz and Morrison were just totally annoying pricks. And this is an instance where I think you and I both agree that Morrison has more of the deadpan comedy stuff, you know, down better than the Miz. In this case, I thought they really worked well together. It was a rare instance where the Miz was just as funny as Morrison. Now the match itself was nothing really to write home about, but it was a good clean win for McIntyre being able to beat Miz, take out Morrison, and allow this guy who just lost the title to stay looking strong. Yeah, um, it made sense. It all worked. This is 
this is when Miz is good. It's that when he feels like he deserves something or he's gotten something and he's celebrating when he thinks and feels like he is the greatest thing in the world. And like it can kind of come off it, come off as funny because he's a little bit over the top about it. But this is this is better Miz than doing jokes and pranks. Morrison is more the like deadpan, dumb, funny. And you get you got both of them because you got Miz talking about how great he is as the Money in the Bank winner and all this stuff. And then you got Morrison just breaking out a Scottish accent <laughs> to talk to Drew McIntyre. Pretty good getting, one. Not getting, too bad. Before getting punched in the face. So yeah, like you, you hit the you hit the high parts of kind of everybody in the ring in that moment. So uh, yeah, that worked for me. Now we also got Firefly Funhouse here. Uh, Bray Wyatt had these crazy green contacts in. Elixa Bliss, her eyes changed, I think, into white contacts. She poisons Ramblin' Rabbit with arsenic-laced tea. This is wrestling we're talking about, by the way. <laughs> uh, and then Wyatt murdered Ramblin' Rabbit with the symbol that he unpacked last week when they moved to Raw from the prayer shack scene with Randy Orton. This edition of the Funhouse was way darker and more serious than the comedic ones. And I thought that was nice for a change. We kind of go in expecting to laugh a little bit or get some cool tongue-in-cheek comments from Bray Wyatt. But this was really all directed towards an end goal, and that's Randy Orton. Later in the show, Orton's backstage cutting a confident promo that he's not scared of the Fiend. He's not concerned about him or anyone else. They are all the ones who should be concerned about him because he's the WWE champion and because of the RKO. But he was still worried about the Fiend at the start of the final segment when he started walking on the ramp you know, to the ring and was looking around, making sure the fiend wouldn't be there when he was going in for moment of bliss. So before we get to moment of bliss and the end of that show, what did you kind of think about this Firefly Funhouse? I found it to be entertaining. And while I'm a little concerned that they're already going Randy Orton fiend, I find it intriguing. And it's obviously a storyline. Ultimately, they would have to do. Yeah, it's it it made the Firefly Funhouse feel a little bit fresher by introducing somebody new but keeping it in the context of everything they're really going for the alice in wonderland mad hatter type of uh deal i i don't think i I don't i don't think we should get that every week those costumes but it was she brought a different dynamic and alexa bliss was continues to be really good in this role Her, her her acting is great um one little nitpick i've this is very, very little nitpick, but I wrote it down because it's been going on for a while, is that when the fiend, when Bray Wyatt says, says, let him in, he goes, let him in like one sentence. When Alexa says, let him in, she says, let him in. And it sits too much. I feel like she should just say, let him in just as quickly. This is really, really nitpicky. I know that is the nitpick of all. I know it hundred percent is, but they're saying it differently. And it's just several weeks now. And it's just, it's caught my attention. And so I wrote it down in my notes and I just wanted to say it here, but she's doing great. Um, I I like the, the, the the eye contact change and all, all that kind of stuff that they're really all in on it. Um, I'm, I'm, a little weary about Randy versus Fiend again for, for obvious reasons uh, and, and for the title. But, you know, they're doing a good job so far. I mean, that that is the nitpick of all nitpicks, I got to say. Even I know Vince, it is. Even Vince wouldn't wouldn't like worry about that on commentary. I, 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 I Vince. <laughs> <laughs> <a> great idea. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I I know. I'm just I'm just saying it bothered me, and now if you're listening to this, it might bother you too because I brought it up. I I understand what you're saying. I think it's just affecting her differently. Not just the way she says that, but even the way she talks, acts. She is acting possessed. Bray isn't really possessed. For Bray, it's more he has voices in his head. So I just think the fiend is is affecting her differently. And it's also really interesting that even though Bray Wyatt is the manifestation of the fiend. It doesn't mean that he is the fiend, if that makes sense. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if this develops into a situation where Alexa Bliss gets a mask and gets remade and we see the fiend Alexa Bliss with regular Bray Wyatt, right? Where it's this other type of being that it can invade one of their bodies or the other. So it's interesting because they always talk about the fiend as if it's another person. Right. And it's not either of them. And she's not saying, hey, when the fiend comes out in you or whatever. So I do find that interesting. And, and I am very curious to see how this develops. But like I said last week, the layering of Bray Wyatt's character and Alexa Bliss's character with the fiend and all three of them being together, it's just really intriguing. The fiend was starting to get a little stale. Alexa Bliss was getting really stale on her own. And this has just completely rejuvenated my interest in all of them and the potential booking for all of them. So it's a big win altogether for me. But the second part of this was Moment of Bliss featuring Randy Orton. As I was saying, Bliss is really good at this role as this demented, possessed type of pixie. She had darker remix theme when she came to the ring, or I guess when the segment actually started, and immediately brought up burning the house down, a reference to the house and the prayer shack that Randy Orton burned down, Alexa Bliss, then laughed manically from the top rope as McIntyre ran down and attacked Randy Orton. Right as McIntyre was about to hit the Claymore, the Fiend's music hits, the lights go out, and McIntyre is suddenly left alone in the ring. And we're thinking, oh, the Fiend's going to pop out and attack McIntyre. It's a swerve. Orton will be able to go in a different direction, and McIntyre will, will feud with and maybe even lose to the Fiend. That's not what happens. The Fiend appears behind Orton at the top of the ramp, very similar to what happened with John Cena, but way better this time because the lights were still out and you could see that he didn't really see him. And rather than like John Cena turn around and tip his cap to the Fiend, which was the dumbest thing ever that John Cena did, Randy Orton recognized the presence and had to choose the lesser of two evils, right? He had to choose, well, am I going to go turn around and fight the Fiend or am I going to ignore that he's there like the boogeyman and just walk towards Drew McIntyre and brawl with Drew McIntyre again. So he chooses the lesser of two evils, which was a really cool spot. The devil he knows versus the devil he doesn't. They brawl until the finish with Orton slamming McIntyre into the table and taking the upper hand right as Raw went off the air. Now, I do have a comment about that, but I'll save it. Let's first talk about this entire moment here, man. I was impressed at the booking. For me, this was the number one best part of Raw. In fact, the final two segments... Sheamus versus Matt Riddle and this moment of bliss closed Raw really strong. Otherwise, it had been a relatively boring episode. I'm very enthused about what this is going forward. I don't know what it's going to be. What about you? Yeah, you know, Raw ended and I didn't quite realize that that was the end. Uh, I actually rewound it to be like, wait, 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 was that the end of the show? I was looking at the clock. Uh, so it it was an episode where I, it didn't end and I like had to like, exhale because it ended on a good note it wasn't a it wasn't a great episode top to bottom we already said that but it did finish strong 
And yeah, that, that was set up pretty well. We weren't sure, you know, that was the big question coming out of Hell in a Cell was what's next? Where, what is Randy going to do? Are they going to bring this back? Are they, what, what is the Fiend going to do? And now they're kind of throwing it all in together and it still could play itself out. So, so on an episode where we got a lot of things set for Survivor Series, it's good that not everything was set and it gives us questions uh, moving into next week. The question now is, and actually before we even get to that question, I don't know what WWE thinks is gained by ending shows with action going on, like if they're not going to continue it on the WWE Network. It's 2020. These are no longer cliffhangers, right? Back in the day in the Attitude Era, they used to do this, but there would be a multi-person brawl. So you knew, hey, look, it's a bunch of people brawling. They're eventually going to get split up. There's really nothing else to be gained from this. But the last two weeks that WWE's done it, it's been someone entering a cell. Are they going to fight? Like, what what happened here? Uh, Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton, again, end of this week's show. In the middle of a brawl, what happened here? Did The Fiend get involved? Where did The Fiend go? It's really frustrating as a viewer not to have resolution of a moment. It's really, for me, pure stupidity because they're not paying it off. If they wanted to give us, this is what happened after Raw went off the air on Twitter or at the beginning of Raw Talk, or even to start the show next week, I would be okay with all of either of those. But they're not doing that. So they're just ending it on a cliffhanger and not giving us a resolution now for seven days. I think it's really stupid. I think it's a a real missed opportunity because they're always trying to direct you to social media or YouTube or something else to, to, to get more. Uh, so it's surprising that they don't. And I, I mean, you can get around it, I think, if you acknowledge it. It happened a few weeks ago on AEW when Eddie Kingston was beating down John Moxley. And, you know, when that happens on AEW and they're running out of time, Jim Ross like says, like, well, we're out of time. We, 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 we got to go. You know, the old Tony Schiavone type of deal. And then the following week, they, lay, they showed you what happened. Did, you know, this didn't happen with the Hell in a Cell. Go home where they get in the the cage and then that's it. And we never found out anything. So I, I think, you know, yeah, th- there needs to be an explanation for these types of things, but, it, but the at cam- least the, the cameras don't stop rolling. It's not like, it's not right. like you hit the, it's not like you hit 11 o'clock and then all the cameras broke. We can't show you what happened. So like it, it, it just leaves that open-ended like question of what happened that they, that they have the answer to, and they should be giving the viewer. Like AEW did this, and I criticized them for John Moxley and Eddie Kingston. And guess what they did? The next week, they showed the footage yep. on, on the show, and it was great. Now, I know for Hell in a Cell, they probably didn't have the opportunity to do that. But they could have shown that footage on SmackDown, or they could have aired it on social media or anywhere. And this week on Raw, they should be airing this footage again in, in any of those platforms. So it's just endlessly annoying. And by the way, if Tom Phillips had ended the show, folks were running out of time we got to cut away, head on over to our Twitter account or tune into Raw Talk to find out what happens here, then I'm totally 100% fine with it. Even if he doesn't say head on over to Raw Talk, if he just gives the viewer the knowledge that they are running out of time and not able to show you the rest, I'm okay with that. But they don't even do it. They're just brawling and then the show ends and goes to black. So it's really stupid and it treats the viewers like morons. I hate when they do it. The last part of this here is evaluating what the hell is going to happen, right? In this feud or, or or what is really going on here. I don't know because 
they're setting up Randy Orton versus Roman Reigns for a Survivor Series. Clearly, they're trying to build his next challenger going forward. And it does seem like it's going to be The Fiend. But we talked about this coming out of Hell in a Cell. It's really dangerous to give Randy Orton The Fiend as his first major challenger because you're writing yourself right into the corner again where The Fiend, if he loses, looks really bad. So then you say, okay, well, he wins. But Randy Orton just won the title at the tail end of this like nine-month major build of character that has him as the most dominant heel besides Roman Reigns, let's say, in WWE today. So how the hell did you do this? Do you make it a triple threat with McIntyre and The Fiend pins McIntyre? Okay, maybe that happens. But then you're kind of hurting Drew McIntyre a little bit more. And The Fiend will still want retribution, for lack of a better term. Uh, on Randy Orton. So then you do that match in, in January, maybe at the Royal Rumble. What are they doing here? I just, I, I really don't know the answer. I mean, maybe it's a situation where that's exactly what they do. They have the triple threat in December. They have the one-on-one match in January. Edge interferes and costs Randy Orton the title. That sets up Edge and Orton blow off at WrestleMania, where now the Fiend is champion going into WrestleMania. I don't know. It's 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 both simultaneously... Good that it's confusing and bad because I don't know how they write their way out of this. So considering the booking that we've had from Raw recently, I leave more concerned than I am enthused. Yeah, I I, I feel better though that they inserted McIntyre into this. So it's not going to be a straight up Randy Orton fiend, in which case I don't think there's a good way to do it other than fiend winning. So... It kind of maybe gives them an out for the next few months. Uh, I don't know. I'm 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 not worried. I'm not optimistic. I'm kind of in the middle right now. So I kind of got to still wait to see till I have a full opinion on where it goes. But it, it was a good setup on Monday. I, I, I think um, I, I think Fiend floating in the background for a little bit could be a good way to handle this for a little bit. All right, now let's move on to everything else that happened on Raw and SmackDown before we get out of here. I got to start, I got to start with the Hurt Business defeating Retribution in an elimination match. This was all kinds of weird, all right? The video package before the match was honestly fantastic. It was so good. It made this angle seem worthwhile Mm -hmm. and it made Retribution look great with Ali as a really strong leader. So we got to give a massive amount of credit to WWE's digital team because only they, even forget the NFL's team, UFC, there's a lot of talented people in this type of business. The WWE digital team is by far the best. Yep. And that video package was absolutely incredible. So I'm a little bit hopeful at this point because I'm like, wow, they really fixed the fact that Retribution just lost a a stupid one-on-one match and already lost their four-on-four match last week and has been basically nothing since joining the main roster. MVP then cuts a typically good promo uh, and Retribution comes out with pretty solid entrance music and a shaky camera, which was stupid, but whatever. And I'm thinking, you know what? This might be the moment, right? This might be the moment where Retribution wins And they figured this out and they start building it forward. I assumed, by the way, 
We would get this as an elimination match at Survivor Series because why wouldn't you? It makes all the sense in the world. But they ran it here. And as soon as this match started, my hope, my enthusiasm, any ounce of joy I got from that video package, it vanished because we had Mia Yim Reckoning jump into the ring and fake a panic attack or something, distracting MVP so Slapjack could eliminate him. That's what this scary, chaotic faction needs in order to win a fall. They need the woman of the faction. No hate that she's a woman. That's not what I'm saying. They need the person not wrestling to jump into the ring out of nowhere and fake a panic attack so that their smallest member can beat MVP, who, by the way, could have taken a fall to Slapjack. Cedric Alexander could have taken a fall to Slapjack. Shelton Benjamin could have taken a fall to Slapjack, and no one would have thought twice about it. But that's what they think they need to do. She gets ejected during the break. Bobby Lashley eliminates Slapjack with a spear. Lashley and T-Bar fight to a double countout, which, okay, if you're going to have Retribution win the match, it's a good way to take Bobby Lashley out with having taken a fall. So then I'm still thinking, okay, it's cool. At least they are now going where they have Mustafa Ali and Mace against Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander. It makes all the sense in the world for Ali and Mace to win, right? You have Ali, who's the most established of any of those guys. Mace is a pretty big guy who looks the best out of everyone on the team. They're going to give Retribution a win. No, they don't. Mustafa Ali gets taken out. Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin double team to eliminate Mace. Then Ali is two on one and he uses a chair to force a disqualification before the rest of Hurt Business comes out and he runs away. Later, Retribution cuts a promo that basically said winning matches doesn't really matter. What are we doing here? Has there ever been a faction in the history of wrestling booked this poorly? Retribution is 0-3-1 in four matches. They can't win. They don't attack anyone of note. They battle against WWE's greed, but then sign contracts and are part of a corporate draft. It's a horrible gimmick. They have no consistency in their motivation. They've given the people in this group, including Mia Yim, by the way, no opportunity to develop in the ring or showcase their skills or win individual matches. What the hell is the point of this? This is the definition of... Zero point zero. What do you think? Yeah, like they keep setting you up with promos, with video packages that make you think, okay, maybe there is something here. And then they get in the ring and it's a disaster. They keep losing and then cutting promos afterward to try to make up for it. That's not how this works. And that's not on them. That's on the booking. It's it's complete nonsense. It's, I, I, you know, they keep trying to get our hopes up, thinking that they will have something here. They do not. They have not developed any characters out. You know, no, I, I said before they debuted that they needed we needed to know who these people are and why they feel this way. They threw Ali into the mix and that we we got his explanation, so he's the face. Okay, but we still don't know who these other people are. I have zero connection to Reckoning or Mia Yim or whatever for her to do these things. She's still just like a 
faceless character. So when she has this itching thing, I don't know. I, it's it makes no sense. Week to week, it makes no sense, and they're giving us no reason to believe them. These people are allowed to fight other people other than the hurt business. Let them go beat up some tag teams and pick up some wins before they do this. Like this is this circle that WWE's always in where people have to wrestle each other 50 times and nobody ever looks good coming out of it. So but they're like, not even doing 50-50 booking. No, no, no. I, I mean, not 50-50. Just they wrestle each other I know, over and over. I know, but I'm saying, then, even, yes, if, yes. I'm saying a, even if you're going to have them wrestle every week and you're, yes. you, have, you have eight people, so you can do different combinations. You could even have her Business recruit a woman so that they have someone to go against Mia Yim. They could figure out a way to have this go on for two months and yes. still give us a fresh matchup every single time we get it and have Retribution win one third of the time. But they're not even doing that. Correct. They're just losing every time they face right. their business. So, the, the, so therefore, they have zero legs to stand on when they cut these promos afterward. And we have no reason to believe in them, to believe them, to have to take seriously anything they say. So they're, they're done here. It, it, it's done. It, it, it's over. It's over. It, it, the, the video packages are great. Ali can cut these great promos. But if that's how it's going to be booked, you know, they've been, I don't want to say buried, but they're in a hole. They're in, they're in the hole with their torso covered with dirt. It's, it's not, they haven't finished filling the six foot hole, but it's the dirt's pouring on. Right. And, and it's just to the point where I don't know how it can be saved at this point. Can they beat, could, could they book them to get a final opportunity elimination match against her business at Survivor Series and book Retribution strong to win three to one, right? Like that's, they, they leave with three people on top and Lashley's the last one and he goes through an absolute hell and he loses and, and he barely loses. And the next week on Raw, Ali's like, we just took down your group. I want a United States championship match. And then the following week on Raw, Ali wins the US title. And now this, this group, this faction seems to have some momentum behind it. Yes, they could do it. They can save Retribution. The problem is there has been zero indication whatsoever that there is any booking might on the Raw brand. Whoever, I, I guess Pr Pritchard is in charge of both now, but clearly there have to be some different writers getting a bigger stake on Raw than SmackDown because the booking is completely different on both shows. So I have no belief that the booking and writing team will do what is necessary to save Retribution even though it could be saved in a two to three week span very easily. So because of, and, and also I have no belief based on the rest of how Raw's booked. Like generally this, this episode was fine. There was nothing to, to crap on. Like we said, the ending of it was very good. There's other weeks that it's been absolutely horrendous. But given what we see week to week, I just have no belief that they can do it. So it's really, I don't even want to say disappointing because there was never an indication that it could have been good or that it was going to be good, I should say. So I can't say that I'm surprised by what happened, but it's just so demoralizing when you see this group and you're like, oh, they finally got Ali, and yeah, they gave him a really banger video package, and they actually had pretty decent music, and their look has improved a little bit, and maybe I've gotten over the stupid names, and then you give them an opportunity to win because you figure out a way to eliminate MVP and Lashley, even though the MVP elimination was stupid. And you still can't have them win the match. And you still have the leader run away like a coward. It's it's just, 
there, there's nothing, honestly, there's nothing else to say. What we need, what we do need to say is other stuff that happened on Raw and SmackDown. We got to move on. Uh, the Street Profits over on SmackDown. Daniel Bryan and Kevin Owens defeated Dolph Ziggler, Robert Roode, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Cesaro in an eight-man tag team match, which we haven't gotten a lot of those recently. So I was totally fine that they ended up doing it here. It was also kind of a throwaway match with people who were not going to be on the pay-per-view that they needed to kind of get everyone involved before Hell in a Cell. So I was totally fine with it. This ended up being a well-wrestled match. But I feel like the stuff worth discussing here occurred before and after the bell. What stood out to me here, and really the entire night on SmackDown, Chris, is it felt like the chains were off, so to speak, in terms of promos. I can't think of one time on SmackDown this past Friday when when a wrestler spoke and it sounded like they were reading lines. Everything felt natural, and it possibly felt to me like everyone was allowed to talk without a script. Maybe there were some bullet points but it didn't feel like scripted wrestling to me. It was none more apparent than in the opening promos with Owens, Brian, and Ziggler. They were throwing zingers at each other. Brian was talking about Owens turning on his friends. It just felt way more natural than WWE has in quite some time. Maybe it's just that they trust Brian and Owens and Ziggler on the mics, but seeing that interaction between all of them, it felt like, like I said, like the chains were off a little bit. Yeah. It, it, um, it's nice when, when it, when you, it comes through the screen, when you can feel that these people are given the freedom to do different things and they're people, you know, you can trust and they can play off each other pretty well. So yeah, it was just, it was just a really solid setup, you know, SmackDown, you just, it's at the point where like you can kind of, you can kind of trust SmackDown that they're yeah that, that 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 they have plans that they trust the people that they're putting on your TV and and that was the case here. They also kind of raided Raw to some degree. I mean, Raw has a really strong male roster, but you kind of feel like SmackDown went out of the way to take the best people they possibly could in each division, you know, and that's really what happened here. This was great though. The interactions between Daniel Bryan and Montez Ford were absolutely hysterical. And I loved, as everyone had to love, the celebration backstage after the match. Guys, that was rad. I am totally doing it. I'm with the smoke, right? Fist me, boys. And, you know, we get, we get new uh, sound drops for the podcast, which are absolutely fantastic. But this was great. Then we got Sami Zayn coming in, coming up to Brian, telling him that Daniel Bryan doesn't get to dictate the terms of which the IC title is defended. Only he does. So they're definitely setting up a feud between the two as Brian wants the title defended every week on SmackDown and Zayn, you know, coward heel type of move doesn't. This was to me really good stuff all around. But I think Daniel Bryan in this new fatherly, dorky type of role, which he's played throughout numerous episodes of Talking Smack, um, you know, with Renee Young, that back and forth and Daniel Bryan not being hip, despite really not being that old is just a really funny type of dynamic. I don't even want to call it a gimmick because it's just him. It's him in real life. I just loved every part of this. Daniel Bryan was one of the MVPs on the show for me. Yeah, he has been a he's been a welcome return. And and when 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 we did our our mock draft, I I picked Daniel Bryan, and uh, you know we didn't know when he was coming back. He he's a major major star. He's arguably the biggest, uh, one of the biggest 
stars of the company, even when we don't see him that often. So anytime he pops up on your screen, you know, business picks up. You're more interested. This is a big deal when he's on my screen. So even when it's fun stuff like this, you know, he's a guy who elevates the people around him. And it's it's been good to see him uh, back these last couple of weeks. It has. Now, everything else kind of here seems to stick with SmackDown because there was a pretty loaded episode in terms of developments because they didn't really have much going on at Hell in a Cell. We got Seth Rollins beating Murphy in a one-on-one match and Rollins cut a good promo before the match. I did think it was weird though, Chris, that they gave this to us on a SmackDown with no promotion or even a specific storyline leading into this match. Like we know they've been at odds, but there hasn't necessarily been anything that said the next thing that needs to happen between these two is a match. That said, what they gave us in the ring was almost pay-per-view quality. Murphy was back in his old trunks. He got a lot of offense in, even while he sold a dislocated shoulder the entire match. Rollins sold the shit out of everything Murphy offered, which was awesome. Michael Cole failed to kind of call Murphy going for his finisher, Murphy's Law. But even though he failed doing that, Rollins reversed it into the stomp and got the win. Uh, The Mysterios were watching backstage during the match. They refused to help as Rollins beat Murphy with a kendo stick afterward. So Aaliyah runs down, sacrifices herself, lays over Murphy to get Rollins to stop. Dominic then comes out, gets pummeled by Rollins. Ray and Dominic then start arguing as Aaliyah consoles Murphy. There has to be some payoff here. I'm just not sure what it's going to be. Maybe that's a good thing. We know that they had to extend this storyline because Rey Mysterio legitimately got hurt. And they did a pretty decent job and have done a pretty decent job giving us this storyline almost as a telenovela. The question is, what is the resolution going to be? Is Murphy going to have been almost faking it the entire time? Or is Rollins going to be able to re-brainwash him a second time? Is Aaliyah going to kind of fall in line with Rollins and Murphy? I don't know what they are going to do to finish this. Clearly with Survivor Series, I don't think they're going to have a SmackDown only match on Survivor Series. So now we're talking about maybe dragging this thing to December. I just don't know what's happening here. But what I will tell you is every part of it entertained me on Friday night. Yeah, I mean, the the Mysterio, Murphy, Rollins thing, I'm... I'm still very much over it and in, in, in the, the family stuff. I don't know. It's it's going week to week. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I don't really have anything more to say because it's just the same stuff we've had forever. So it is what it is. Maybe it'll end someday. So did you not enjoy it at all, though? I mean, it was fine. You know, the match I'm, was good. The, the, ma- the match was good, but it's just like, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm just not super into it. I'm just <laughs> I've seen this for That's so fine. long and I don't know. It, we've gotten into so many different family members now and I'm just like, ah, it's, it's, it's long. Like sometimes feuds are a little ridiculous and they power through it to get more ridiculous and you get into it. But this has been, this has been five months now and we've already had several matches where, you know, Mysterio's legacy was on the line and we had an eye, literally an eye pop. Out. <laughs> it's, it's like it, it, now the stakes are, a daughter likes somebody. It's like the stakes are lowering the longer this goes on. And I'm just, I'm not, I'm not connecting to it. Yeah. I mean, look, maybe she will consider, I am forgetting what it's called right now, but the thing where you kind of separate from your parents. Emancipating. Emancipate yourself. But she is old enough, obviously older enough where she doesn't need to do that. 
right? So I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what they're doing, but I'm just, I guess my point is these are four really good wrestlers. What we've gotten to see throughout this entire feud, despite the storyline being a little odd at times, we've gotten to see really good wrestling. So at least they're delivering in that regard. But yeah, I think if you are tired of it or any listeners who are tired of it, that is a completely legitimate opinion to have. I can see where it's waning on people. For me, I'm just hoping that like this Friday on SmackDown, they start telling us what direction they're going in for some type of resolution. Look, it would be pretty interesting if they almost put this on the shelf and all four of these guys are on the Survivor Series team. Because could you imagine Rollins having to tag in Mysterio or Dominic? And I don't know what they're going to do for the SmackDown Survivor Series team, but that would be a very interesting development. A couple other things before we get out of here. Lars Sullivan defeats Shorty G. Not only do I not give a shit about Lars, his new look and repackaging makes him look way less intimidating than he did before. He looks like someone cosplaying Tyson Fury, but with 0% of the personality. And it took me a good three weeks to figure out who he was reminding me of. But he legitimately now, with the beard the way it is, looks like Tyson Fury. It's so strange. As I'm watching it, this match, I found it nice that at least Shorty G was getting to speak and cut a promo, and he got in some offense and aggressiveness in the match, but he gets jobbed out just like we all knew he would. And I'm getting really upset because to treat Gable basically like Zelina Vega, who we'll talk about in a little bit, is absolutely ridiculous. He's far better, far more important. Then Chad Gable quits. And to me, I'm like, this is exactly what they just did on NXT with Austin Theory two nights earlier. But all of a sudden, to my total surprise, they give us a twist. Gable cuts a great promo backstage while on the training table, tearing apart the Shorty G character for being stupid, an ineffective loser, saying he's not going to be a role model for WWE anymore and will instead take what he deserves as Chad Gable. I'm not sure if this part was on purpose, but I also thought he may have done like a tongue-in-cheek swerve by only saying the name Gable and making us think like they cut off his first name, but then saying Chad Gable. Anyway, this was great stuff. I don't know that it suddenly means that Chad Gable is going to be a mid-carder contending for the Intercontinental title. I don't know if it means that they're going to buy into him and treat him with all the respect that he deserves to be treated with. But what I will say is this change from Shorty G to Chad Gable. Such good shit. And they deserve credit for doing it and recognizing at least that Shorty G was not good shit. It was a piece of shit. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it it was good to see. It it gives you the sense they have a an idea or a plan for him, which is always good when they clearly didn't forever. It's good that they acknowledged that Shorty G was nonsense. Um, we never really got good explanations on that. So it was, it was, it was, it was good. It was fine. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like fired up because I think Chad Gable is suddenly going to be on a roll here, but I think Jason Jordan also tweeted about it um, as well. So, you know, if, if it's a turn back in the right direction, that's good. I'm excited to see where it goes, but, 
I got to see where it goes before I get, you know, <laughs> real into it. And no, also, but you got to be, you got to be excited that Shorty G is dead though. You have to be. I'm excited, but it's not, it's not, it, he's something, somebody we saw so infrequently anyway, that it barely was, you know, in my mind uh, until he'd pop up every four weeks to do something. So if it, if it's more Chad Gable on my screen and he's going to be Chad Gable, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited about it. I, I, I mean, look, if we get like a Daniel Bryan, Chad Gable tag team, or if, or if inside of the calendar year, Chad Gable ends up winning either a tag team title with someone or the Intercontinental Championship, this guy is young enough where he still has a lot of runway left in his career. And I just want to see them do something serious with him. And by bringing up his wrestling background and all of his titles and successes and the fact that he got all of that as Gable and shitting on the Shorty G moniker simultaneously, to me, it at least said that they recognized how bad it was and the ridiculousness of it. You have to also remember, we're now about 14 months that he was Chad Gable since it started. And it's been about 14 months since Baron Corbin has been King Corbin. So I hope they also somehow get rid of that King gimmick. Maybe even having Chad Gable beat Baron Corbin. I don't even know what brand Corbin's on. Is he on SmackDown or Raw? Uh, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> no, no, I think he's still on SmackDown. Okay, if he's still on SmackDown, having him beat Baron Corbin and maybe then Corb maybe he steals the king crown from Corbin and they kind of almost reset that a little bit where Shorty G gets back at one of his greatest adversaries. Corbin loses his crown. Now he's Baron Corbin again. He has new life. Hell, maybe they even tag team as a heel tag team like we thought they might when he was kind of going after the King's Ransom. I thought, hey, you know what? Putting them together wouldn't actually be the worst thing. I'm just happy to see more Shorty G and I'm going to be cautiously optimistic about it. Yeah, so that, I'll that, be, that's I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll be cautiously optimistic. I, I, this is not, you know, Chad Gable's Mr. Money in the Bank or something. And, and, you know, they have this clear, they have this huge vision. It's just they're, 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 they're cutting their losses and they're going to try something else. So I'm going to, I'm going to treat it the same way as Apollo Crews getting traded to Raw. We was, he, yeah. was in the he was in the matches with Andrade. We said, look, it looks like they gave him a purposeful injury. They, maybe they'll put the title on him. I'll be cautiously optimistic. They did, and Apollo Crews quickly got better. So uh, that's my same hope for Chad Gable. Yes. So, you know, I, I don't think it's worth that much time talking about, but it's clearly, hey, we'll see where it goes next week. We'll see, or this week. We'll see, you know, what they have in store moving forward. But they, 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 they finally chopped this whole thing off. And there's a chance to grow out of it. So it's good. It is always worth it to spend time talking about Chad Gable, as long as he's not Shorty G. Last year, really, Bianca Belair defeated Zelina Vega. This was a fine, short type of match for Belair. She beat Vega after a few minutes with the KOD. WWE likes to slow build people like this. But for me, this would have been way more impactful if she came right out and beat someone like Natalia in a 10-minute match than just overpowering and squashing Vega. So you know, not hating it by any means, but that vignette for her two weeks ago was so strong. They really could have gotten away with doing that for another week and then giving us like Natalia this week and kind of going on from there. But I would not be surprised if Bianca Belair gets a really quick ascension in the women's division. And I think that they're going to be building her to win the women's Royal Rumble. I think so too. I, I mean, this seems to be what the plan is now. Uh, yeah, you know, we've been doing the vignettes. We've been doing a lot of big stuff. It seems like she is someone now I am getting excited about here, like more than the Chad Gable stuff. Like this is clear. There yeah. are big plans in store and she can deliver in every facet of this profession. So good, 
good, big step in the right direction. And last but not least, is there anything that you want to say about the 24-7 stuff from Raw? No. No. Good. Yeah, good. Because it was totally, completely worthless. All right, so that is our episode, our WWE episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. As I said, there is so much awesome stuff ahead in our future. We will, of course, be back next week to talk WWE with Chris Vanini joining me. But the Silver King will be back this Thursday with a very special guest, a one time at least co-host to try to talk AEW and NXT, give the show a little bit of a different twist. We will see how that works out. But we'll be back Thursday with another episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Between now and then, go ahead, do us a favor. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for me and Chris and Getting Over. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, where we release every single show that comes out. We talk about wrestling all week, especially during the four major shows. News, old highlights, clips. It's a great account to follow, at Getting Overcast on Twitter. Chris has said his goodbyes, or actually, I'm going to say them for him. Hey, folks, Chris says goodbye. The Silver King is saying goodbye. That leaves one other person left to say goodbye to you. Thank you all for listening. I will see you on Thursday. Bye for now.